Hi, I'm Jason. I'm John. And I'm Marquis. And this is Just, Just Getting, Getting By. A free talk forum about the creative process and the wounds that hold us back from achieving our goals. Each week, building a roadmap through dialogue with working and struggling artists about how to better manifest a successful show business career. Hey everyone, it's John. This week, we spoke to Caitlin Zaz and Chinaza Uche. They spoke to us about marrying their high school sweetheart, navigating gender roles within their relationship, and being married to a fellow artist. We also discussed gender and racial biases within the entertainment industry, juggling commercial pursuits with passion projects, viewing failures as learning experiences, and the ways fame affects friendship dynamics. Caitlin and Shinaza are two of the brightest and most passionate actors and creators we know, and we can't wait to see what they do next. Make sure to check out Shinaza on Dickinson, a new series streaming now on Apple TV+. This is our interview with Caitlin Zaz and Shinaza Uche. Um, I, got, I think I have probably more questions for you guys than I've had for anybody, mostly because there's two of you. This is Ooh. our first interview with two people. First, our first interview with an artist couple. Our first yeah. interview with a married couple. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. The M word. All of the Questions about all of it. Um, how long have you guys known one another? We've known each other for 15 years. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. That's lo- We've known each other longer. We've known each other for like 16, 16 years. Yeah. You met. So you met in high school? We met yeah. in high school. Oh, yeah. nice. That's yeah. crazy. It's I was really just having a conversation weird. how, like, <laughs> most high school relationships don't last out of high school yeah. because my nephew is going like, through. yeah, you know, like fresh in. out of college, but like was with his high school sweetheart and is like kind of going through it. And I'm just like, look, Doesn't. girl, like, don't nobody care. Like, <laughs> high, because, you know, we all like have these crazy experiences in high school and there's you, it's usually hard to have the same trajectory as someone that you grew up with. Yeah. So how did that happen for you? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess I was 16 and you were 15. When we met. Yeah. Yeah. We did a year of, like, acting training together. Where we didn't really speak much. It was an yeah. arts high school. It was arts an arts high school. school. See, I think that's a big thing, too. Like, you had a similar interest. Yes. We had a similar interest, and I... I haven't spent a lot of time developing this theory, but I imagine it has helped. We spent a lot of time like studying how to communicate and how to listen. Um, so that. I wonder if that also helped. I'm sure that played yeah. a huge role. <laughs> yeah. Not that we're pros at it no, by any means. We're like still learning. But even but having the I capacity think, to think about how you're communicating is a big part of building better communication. Yes, and had like a shared emotional language Mm -hmm. at a pretty young age because then we both ended up going to ETW, which wasn't planned really. Um, I applied to like 10 schools, like, you know, why? Why do we do that? But that's what I did. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, then got into NYU and was really excited by that. But, you know, they place you randomly. Like, Terry Knickerbocker was my um, auditioner. So when I said ETW, I actually remember being really anxious because I was like, yeah, ETW or Atlantic, Mm -hmm. which couldn't be more different, but I had like no idea really anything about the studios. And he was like, okay, I'm going to put you down for ETW. And I was like, yeah, but like also Atlantic because I wanted to get into NMIU and I was worried if he just put down ETW, I wouldn't. (laughs) Um, But I think it may have been because I I doubt that many people walked in at that point and said, yeah, I want to go study experimental theater. Mm. Right, and very few have already had Grotowski physical yeah. acting training, the, yeah. that, spe- that specific technique. So I think that kind of helps. Because you yeah. did that in high school, right? We did a, a little bit of it. But a couple of our teachers from high school had gone to ETW. Yeah, that's true. So we at least even knew what it was. And I feel like, I don't know how many kids were like, yeah, like you're saying, coming well, and in being like, right. I want to be a TV star or a thing star and being like, I'm interested. I want to be an artist. Yeah. Yeah. You need yeah. a language for that and an interest. You know, we watch a lot of Samuel Beckett. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> a lot of waiting for Godot, like in high school. Yeah, yeah, we did watch a lot of those videos. Yeah. So yeah. 
What type of artists do you identify as now? Ooh. It's a big question, isn't it? It's a big question. I think my answer to that changes every day. Mm -hmm. Um, What is it today? Today, I identify as an actor, voiceover artist, writer, producer. That's what I would say. Okay. But I don't know if the balance of my, uh, of how much I'm doing those things is what I want it to be. Mm-hmm. What's the balance right now? <sighs> What's the balance right now? I guess it's like mostly voiceover stuff mm-hmm. and then creating my own work. Like, I, th- I think I've had, I feel like I'm having a Saturn return of ETW <laughs> um, in that I think I got out of school and like really pushed away from that and went a very much, a much more, or was approaching my career in a very kind of like, well, I'm going to get my equity card and then I'm going to get my SAG card and then I'm going to get rep and then I'm going to, and then it's all going to make sense. And I know what my type is and I'm a marketable type and this is what it's going to be. And that didn't serve me at all. Um, and so I think I've like run up against the same wall many times and I, and I, it's, I have like, it feels a bit like a cosmic joke because I think I have so fiercely pushed away my ETW roots of creating. And now I'm like, oh no, that was, that was the thing all along. It's like you had your, you had the shoes on the whole time. (laughs) All you had to do was click your heels. Um, Uh and so coming to terms with that. What type of voiceover work are you doing? I'm going to get back oh, to yeah. this question. On like commercial part. stuff. Um, I would love to be doing animation. I'm about to start um, delving into like the audiobook world just as a way of not having so many day jobs and being able to kind of like work from home oh, in my own way more. Work? It's a lot of it is like you, um, I mean, I'm sure they're like, I know my rep wouldn't ever submit me for audiobooks. So you kind of like get in with Audible or one of those services or it's like self-submission. So there are sites where like you can basically bid to an off- author be like, I'll do your project for X mm. amount of dollars. But it's hours and hours of reading and editing. So it's like money-wise isn't the best gig. Yeah. Um, but it feels more creatively in line with what I love. So And you would do the editing too. Yeah, I'd be doing time. all the editing. Oh, so they send you they just send you the manuscript and you yeah. and you have and- like samples. Gotcha. Uh, like this is, you know, my I would be doing mostly YA stuff, um, because my voice. Why? Sounds- <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine. I why. wonder why. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I always thought like a Winston Churchill uh, biography. <laughs> yes, you know. Very on brand. Cecil McKinnon didn't quite get me there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess I yeah, and then we're like talking about developing projects, and I'm yeah. Definitely produced like a couple small things that yeah. have been great learning experiences. Um, yada yada. No, no, there's no yada yadas in this damn podcast. Well, I feel like some of them we've had. We had one that we've had a couple that were like. I think we've had some like real great learning experiences, <laughs> <So> which, is, <laughs> uh-huh. which means that they failed. In failures. Failures. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I like to explosive, call them learning explosive failures. No, it totally works. I, to I do feel like for the two of us, like creating our own stuff, helping build pieces and lift them up is something that we're, have been and are realizing that we're still really passionate about. So we are, like, finding scripts and, like, Kate did a short play festival and we're like, that should be a short film and we've had these couple of other shorts that we've made that we're like, okay, we learned from that, how can we do it better this time? And it remains important to us, which has been, like, illuminating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's also, like, being... Like just wanting to have, just wanting to have control over the art that you're making, which as actors you just really don't. Right. Most of the time. Yeah. Right. It's always it's someone else's relevant. story. Yeah. Um, it was funny when you asked like, what kind of artist do you see yourself as? Yeah. Right. In my head, the first thing I heard was a commercial actor, hmm. and then like a writer, because I do very much feel like that is the separation where I'm at, where I'm very much, mm. and I'm very happy about it, but I'm like a commercial actor. I What's train, the difference? Period. Period, <laughs> kind of. I think the difference is, I'm trying to figure out what the I difference is. I don't know is. if that's being fair to yourself. Maybe to not be, I've been lucky to do things I care about, but I yeah. do feel like, um, I don't know if I have the right words, but 
the the feeling of being a commodity and and the the selling of a product and feeling like you're online like on a shelf mm-hmm. in a way not complaining but that feels very much a part of my life as a commercial actor which is different than like doing a piece of Christine Lee and being like we're creating something or generating something mm-hmm. yada yada well, I think it's funny too right because like you ultimately realize that the dream that's what it is right like the dream of like being this actor who's going to get to do all these things and play right. all these roles is really you're going to be on a shelf, a.k.a. your agents or your rep's shelf, and they're going to figure out when they can make the most money off of you. Right. Um, or it takes a lot of work to cultivate whatever that specific thing was where you're like, have that mix of I'm on a shelf and I'm also, and the work that I'm doing on that shelf is also in line with what drives me as a yeah. passionate yeah, artist, and human. And figuring out when you can say no, like learning when it's, when you shouldn't say no because you really need, you need to just be working and like building reps and when like that shouldn't be your knee jerk, like that shift out of that space into, no, I can say no Hmm. because this artistically is not fulfilling to me and I have this other opportunity that may pay a lot less money or may not make sense, but is more artistically fulfilling. Right. Choosing to prioritize that and knowing once that project ends and you're in between passion projects, you can still do some commercial stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. But it's always maybe a juggling act. Always and juggling. like, if you're feeling frustrated, you know, like there's too much of one, not enough of the other. Like, I don't know if you have to say commercial actor period because at any moment, right, you could just take on another project. Like, yeah. like you're saying. And I guess commercial actor period probably isn't fair. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like isn't fair. But it's cool that you get like commercial work. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, you get yeah. Those paychecks. Yeah, it's great. I yeah, mean, it's, and it's better for me too. <laughs> it's better for me. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think the most challenging thing we've encountered as an artist couple is like it's really hard for you both to be pursuing one hundred percent because it's like you either have to be independently wealthy or you can't afford to live in New York City at least right um so I think that's been a balancing act that we've definitely had to manage throughout the last 10 years so what's amazing for me about him working more commercially is that it gives me more space to create my own stuff which Mm -hmm. I think is good for both of us in some ways yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense because when you book one of those commercial roles, you are getting, you know, a pretty good payout. Mm-hmm. And if it's a national spot, then it's something that can give you a good little cushion for yeah. a while. Yeah. But we're not just talking advertising, right? We're yeah. talking like, you're just talking about doing roles. He's on, in you're movies, yeah, and I'm, I, you know, I'm yeah. not, and yeah. t- trust me, I'm not complaining. I think what yeah. happened was seeing you two and being reminded of ETW, I just remember mm-hmm. being like, Oh, the work I'm doing is very different from that. It's yeah. I'm totally yeah. like, it's That's gray good. and fulfilling. But I was like, oh right, it's what been is a the while work that you've been doing. Yeah. Um, I think over the last couple of years, there's been a shift. I'm doing a lot more TV and film stuff. I uh, did an independent film called Nigerian Prince that went to the festivals. I'm on a new Apple show. That's the kind of stuff that has been doing. And I think we're still processing that shift because it, it's pretty recent. Do you know um, when the Apple show comes out? Comes out in the fall. Yeah. Oh, okay. We'll have to release Apple TV this episode plus. around the same time. <laughs> yeah. Time. Yeah. We'll yeah. Let you we're know trying, when we're it trying comes to do out. that. Like, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. releasing. You know, the epi- we're releasing Ronald's episode when his Netflix yeah, yeah, show yeah, comes yeah. out, and Olivia's episode when Lodge Forty Nine comes out. Yeah, again. yeah. Yeah. You know. So yeah. when I have a better oh, like, day, you can I'll see him here. Here. Yeah. 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 We are on an NDA. Like you can't even tell us the name of. Oh, I can tell you. It's called Dickinson. Dickinson. It's about Emily Dickinson. Oh, cool. It's set back then, but we all talk like it's today. Kind and of. Kind of. But I think the, <laughs> the idea is that like she was a politically aware and as politically aware and as complicated as women are today. So let's treat her that way. And mm. still a comedy. So I think it's going to be good. So mm-hmm. Apple, fall, Apple TV plus. <laughs> Apple TV Get plus. It. Do it. Are you both <laughs> Do represented? It. Ooh. Differently, yeah. You're represented. You're represented, Caitlin, for voiceover work. Yeah, I'm. I'm rep for voiceover work, and like that's been a tough road. The rep 
road for me. Interestingly, not for voiceover. Like, that came there. Once I went down that road, that happened very quickly. But the rest of it has been very challenging. You know, I've met a lot of people that are like, oh, I think I could do voiceovers. And Mm -hmm. and it's, when did you have that moment? And how did you proceed? Um... So I guess it was a couple years ago. I was just like really artistically unfulfilled and running up against walls and was like, what else can I do artistically? So I reached out to a mutual friend of ours mm-hmm. who's done a lot of voiceover work um, and kind of just picked his brain on it and was like, what's the deal with this? Like, how do I get into it? I know it takes a lot more skill than probably most people would guess. As, as most, everything does. Right? Yeah. So h- how do I do this in the right way? And he recommended a really wonderful teacher named Marla Kerbin, um, who was an agent for years, and now she coaches on the side. So I worked with her a bunch. She, she helped me record a demo. Um, and then because she worked as an agent, she has a lot of connections. And so it was that was an easier road for me in terms of getting rep because I had her kind of mm. vote of confidence. Um, so, yeah, that's been my voiceover road. And I really enjoy it. Like... I mean, we've talked about this before, because he goes in for voiceover auditions and is often very anxious, and at one point I said to him, I was like, I just, like, love going in there and, like, being in the booth and putting the headphones on, and just, (laughs) I just love the whole experience of it, and he was like, really? (laughs) I did not feel similar, so, which was just an interesting moment to be like, oh, this is something that I'm, like, really jazzed about that... Aside from acting, like, I don't have, you know, you don't have that many things that you're like, I just, like, love every piece of this. And it's yours. I mean, it's your passion now. Yes. And it can be singular within a dynamic where, you know, when I reached out to to you guys, I was going to reach out separately to do them because it didn't occur to me to do an episode with a couple and Mm -hmm. Shanaza pitched, like, oh, no, we think it would be smart to do it. Like, you know, that whole perspective. And John was like, oh, 100%. So (laughs) we're really thrilled that we are. And that's, you know, the dynamics of being in an artist's couple. Mm-hmm. You know, John and Marquis are a great example. Uh, you know, they, they Marquis does styling and uh, in the world of drag, and John's, like, really trying to pursue drag, embodying drag itself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, John has a background in music. Marquis, like, really trying to pursue music itself, is pursuing music itself. Right. There's kind of that yin-yang overlap. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's overlap, but, but there's also singularity. There's a lot of overlap. Like, John got me a guitar for my birthday a few years ago, and from getting me that guitar and me learning to play guitar, he learned to play guitar. Oh, that's awesome. And awesome. so then we both end up writing songs on the guitar. And that's like it's really just cool. like a, a parallel that happens when you're in an artist relationship and you can express the the art that you're trying to create with someone who's not judging yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, you can relate with that struggle of um, before one of you hits that commercial success mm-hmm. as an artist of like one of you has to really sacrifice in order to put the bread on the table in mm-hmm. terms yeah. of time and space to do that. So it's like push and pull there. Yeah, and you can always be like on that on that road to success or like I just had a big write-up in paper magazine and it's like, Oh, thank you. Thank you. But it's like, that doesn't pay you any money. Right. 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 So it's like, Oh, great. People are finding out who this person is. However, are you going to pay me? (laughs) You know? So there's always that push and pull. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a challenging thing. And I think, it's interesting you bring up singularity because I think that has been useful and I think that's probably the biggest challenge, right? Is like there's singularity regardless. Like even if you have the same passions, you're just different artists. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that can be really challenging when you're pursuing the same thing. And I think that's something that we've had to kind of really name and identify over the years of like what we're doing is the same, but also like this journey is different. Um, and how do you not compare them? Mm-hmm. How, how do you make space for each other's journeys in the midst of your own, which is also, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, something it can be really challenging. We've actually, we've actively had to like sit down and be like, okay, are we making space? Like, how can we make more space? I don't feel blah blah blah. And, and like, what roles are serving you? Right? Like, we fall into our own domestic yeah. roles. I was for gonna lack ask of a better... who cooks. <laughs> 
Um, You're like Postmates. Both of us cook. Yeah. Do you trade off? Do you cook together? We don't really cook together. Never. Our kitchen is like not that. We don't have that much counter space. Uh-huh. And so cooking together can be like just a little too. Yeah, it's more like, like get out. I like. think it's more for me. I, I definitely am like, I need personal space. Just mm-hmm. like, I need personal space, please. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm also just more of a messy cooker. So mm. Caitlin's a I lot can see more. that video. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I feel like I'm a stress. I love that for you. <laughs> But I think I stress you out when I'm in the kitchen as well. Because I'm like, oh, I just pour this in and then I turn this over and it feels like, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, get out. We have to eat this. So. <laughs> and I'm like all, I'm not, I don't like use measuring utensils that often unless I'm making something really specific. But I, I think I'm just a little bit more. Calculated. Yeah, and like I enjoy baking, which is just so much oh, more yeah. precise oh, than cooking. So we, we should have a, we have a different style. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, but, I mean, there are definitely, that is, yeah. but I think that's a good example of something that, like, just, we definitely have had to name the things of, like, okay, so I always do this thing, but, like, why am I always doing this thing? Am I always doing this thing because, like, I love doing this thing? Or, like, is there room for us to not have this and have those conversations about the kind of domestic roles or the roles that you play in the relationship not having to be constant um, as a way of supporting each other in our art as well. Because they also mirror out into the real world. I can't, you know what I mean? Like, there are habits that you, I don't know. It's like, if it's in your kitchen, it's in the real world, and you're like, I mean, honestly, trying to, like, stop, like, straight up patriarchy and misogyny as one part of it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So some of those habits, you're trying to be like, if we can fight that at home, maybe we can fight that in the way we navigate certain rooms and certain spaces in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's like putting forth that equal amount of effort between yeah. the both of you instead of it being like, oh, the man needs to do this or the woman needs to do that. Yeah. And just allowing there to be a question because I think part yeah. of my like awakening as a woman in my mid to late 20s was because I grew up in... Connecticut and like a very affluent liberal area that you know I was always told like women can be whatever men can be you can do whatever you want to do and so I think my sense of like that dynamic was very warped in that it took me until I was in my 20s to be like oh no there's so many spaces that I walk into where I'm not treated as an equal um like what well, so, I mean, I think the one that comes to mind is I, for years, worked as a, my day job was I worked as the assistant to a technical supervisor on Broadway. And so I was in that kind of union, very male-dominated world. I learned so much um, and was kind of like an alternate, like this other art career that I had for five years that I had by accident, um, which was interesting listening to Emma's podcast recently and she was talking about how she like kind of just became a writer Mm -hmm. and I was saying to Chanaz afterwards I was like you know I fought against that um that role for so long working for and like I wonder if I had just leaned into it where I would be right now Mm -hmm. um because they continue to ask me to work for them and I know that if I had wanted that like I could have a very good job working in that world in a totally different facet would of this. Would you enjoy that? Well, I, it's, I, no, I don't think I would. Um, <laughs> I do, I, I enjoy aspects of being a producer and there are pieces of that that overlap. Um, but, it, you know, you get older and your idea of, of success and accomplishment change. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time I was so hard on the grind of like, I'm never going to give up. I'm always going to be an actor. I'm always going to be an actor. Right. That there was, I didn't even allow there to be space to consider it. Mm-hmm. Um, and now like thinking more about having a family and those types of things you start to think about like, well, what else? How, like, how do we pay our bills for real here? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is one thing that I have thought about. And then been like, but you know what? I don't. I still don't want to do it. Even thinking about it now, I still don't want to do it. But that was a very toxic masculine space. Oh, was where, yeah. Yes. Um, and that was the first time that I was really forced to confront that, like, I would always be the assistant. I would always be right. the secretary. I would, But I was their boss. 
Mm. Right. It's like I you are boss. you are I making sure things are taken care of. I was making of. sure their 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 checks were being paid. Like I was signing off on them, and the way that I would be spoken to in some of these situations was so. And then watching yourself play into it and the dynamics and learning things about myself yeah. in terms of how, as a woman, I was um, navigating my own femininity in those spaces, or or playing younger than I felt inside because that was more digestible. Um, so I think all of that has also played into the conversations that we've had in our own home in terms of me being like, no, the, we, we, can, we can ask, we can just ask why. We can just ask why are we doing this? Are we mm-hmm. doing this because this is what we think we're supposed to do? Or are we doing this because you and I are looking at each other as individuals and saying, this is, this is what I want to do? We've talked to a couple um, creators, actors, um, females that are somewhat plus size, I guess, um, and and how they've maneuvered that, uh, how they've had to embrace it, what struggles they've had with how people respond to them. Mm -hmm. What about, have you come up against any walls with having the voice that you have, which is younger sounding? Very young. What has that been for you? I mean, it's interesting. So I mean, I obviously you're channeling it into YA uh, jobs potentially, so that's like a plus. But I mean, what it's has in, been the downfalls? Uh, I mean, I think it's been a huge part of the roadblocks that I've run into because I think that. Uh, so this past weekend, I did a reading series where I was playing someone my age mm-hmm. for like, you know, I can probably count on less than five fingers the amount of times I've had the opportunity to do that, especially as I've gotten older. And it was so liberating to be like, oh, right, I I know how to do this. I understand the psyche of somebody who's in their early 30s and what that is. It feels much closer and much more artistically gratifying than playing an 18-year-old at this point. Um but I think I've spent a lot of years really trying to know my type. And I think there's a disconnect that happens when I walk in the room because I do read really young. Uh, but I don't know that I energetically come off that way when you have a conversation with me. Mm-hmm. And so people are like, what do we, okay, I think you're just not right for this. Mm. Or we don't know what to do with you. Um, and I don't know what the answer to it is yet. Mm-hmm. I said, I was speak. my friend uh, who directed it was just saying that it was really nice to see me play somebody who was closer to my age. And said to her, I was like, yeah, I mean, my hope is that, like, that means I'll work more as I get older, um, that things will start to, like, line up. Um, but I don't know, because, you know, women never age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you haven't. <laughs> In the 10 years I've known, 10 plus years I've known. Well, it's a weird thing to think about when you're like, I want to have kids at some point, but I can't play 18 and be, you know, have two kids. Like, even if I am, you know. You've also received advice that, you know, starts to think of like, take your wedding ring off and all these other things that are personal decisions for a business result. Oh, interesting. Yes. Take your wedding ring Take off. Take your wedding ring Let's off. see that wedding ring. Don't, <laughs> don't wear oh, it. it's beautiful. Thank you. Don't wear it in the summer because you'll have tan lines and they'll know, which is true. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's very weird. The entertainment industry is just so... Just like judgmental in ways. It's There's this thing that is driving us, but there's always someone on the other side of a table who is determining your fate, essentially, and anything that you've done or you look like or may say can make or break if you're getting this position. Yeah. You know? yeah. Chinaza, how is it being a black actor in 2019? <laughs> I'm serious. How is it being a black actor Yeah, like, would it, would 10 years ago, did it feel different than it does now? Yeah. Has it gotten better, worse? I mean, you you were cast in a movie called The Nigerian Prince. Right. Would that you, even exist the way it did ten years ago? Yeah. And are you happy that you were cast in in a movie like that? I mean, obviously you are, but like, yeah, like totally. are, are you also like 
Like, well, but why am I not cast in, uh, you know, in something normal just because I'm a normal guy, too? Um, yeah, it's, like, such a big question. I feel like, um, when I left school, I definitely was confused. Because I'm not sure if anything at NYU really prepared me for the realities of being a black actor in, in the commercial world in any way. Um, I think what... So, so yeah, I was confused. I think that's what it was like. But luckily, I found some spaces, like MB National Black Theater and stuff, to be like, oh, while you're confused, we're still, like, interested. <laughs> like, come share in this space. And I feel like... Um, to, my version of that was that I got to do play. I don't know. At some point, I realized I am a black actor. I will never not be a black actor. Everything I my body is in, it is a black body in that piece. Right. Um, and that's actually empowering and freeing in a way, because then it helps to make make decisions and in a, in a weird way put that body in this time to use and I feel like I've had the opportunity to do that um, especially in plays over the last few years and I think things are opening up obviously diversity is a big buzzword even more buzzier than it has uh, right now it's a big buzzword and I think the pros of that are stuff like I, I gotta do a play about Nigerian immigrants in the 70s and I am not sure if that play would have existed in a commercial theater 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. But it did two years ago, and that was because people were like, we do want new stories. So I think there's a lot of pros. There's a lot of hunger for new stories and new bodies without maybe a structural change. So I think that's the main wrestling. And I think what that can make a person feel is that then <laughs> you need to get what you can out of a moment because you don't know if the moment is actually real mm-hmm. and if it will last. Right. And even thinking like that makes you not happy. Um, Nigerian Prince specifically was actually a very positive experience because I'm not sure that film would have been... I mean, it, it was created from a grant that was like, we need voices. <laughs> Does anybody have... Um, stories about other people, kind of. Um, AT&T, God bless them, was like, here, we'll give a million dollars to someone to make a movie about... Uh, I forget the exact phrase. they do this every year now, too. That was yes. the first year of it. And, and oh, maybe incredible. It's a, unique Voices. I forget. I apologize. It's like Unique Voices or something. So I, if that grant didn't exist 10 years ago, which it didn't, that film does not, not exist. Um, so I think there's so many... So that to me was like, wow, amazing. I'm glad that's. Did Nigerian Prince find a distributor? Yes, it did. It did. You don't know what it is. (laughs) I should know the name off the top of my head. We'll we'll look it up. Yeah, Yeah. it's terrible. We we know you can watch it on Amazon Prime. I was on Amazon Prime right now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, incredible. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I remember the exact. It's like streaming on Amazon Prime. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go watch it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think that's something that has always been interesting to think about as a black man existing in today's climate. It's just a little all over the place. And you think about how right now diversity is a very big buzzword, and we're talking about all of these incredible black actors and actresses being cast in roles that typically were not made for us. Um, Where you think about there was a huge spike in black entertainment in the 90s and so many black sitcoms and most of them were on like Fox or the WB and things like that and how time changed and then we saw more and more of those get canceled or or kind of like we turn the light switch off on those and I like the fact that we are seeing this spike in those stories being told once again or being told for the first time and also granting the opportunity to all of these actors and actresses who have wanted to be a Disney princess at one point in time or, you know, wanted to be casted in a role where it wasn't about 
being a slave, yeah. you know? Um, that's incredible. And I feel like, and also more and more gatekeepers, like executive producers on shows, people with real creative agency and clout, I'm seeing more black people and also people of color in general in those positions. And that is hopefully a more lasting kind of shift Mm -hmm. than even the actor himself or herself. Right. And it really comes down to um, an expansive audience caring about um, expansive content and diverse content, not just, not just being diverse, but caring about diversity in the content, not in the casting, you know, it's like, like insecure and yeah. power mm-hmm. and yeah. blackish and like these shows being watched by Latinos and Asians and whites and blacks and yeah. everybody. It's yeah. like it, it's it's about expanding our consciousness. And if that shift is sorry, no, please. Go but ahead. if that shift is happening, that's really exciting because everybody in this country, I imagine, and a lot of places around the world, we're we're taught that you can only actually connect emotionally to a white person, right? Verbally or non verbally, subconsciously, we were taught that like they they represent all of us. And if we can all realize, not realize, I'm just, if that's the shift that's happening, they're like, oh, this group, I can feel for them. They can tell stories that reach to me. That's like really exciting and important. And I hope that's the concrete shift that we're sitting in now. I hope so too. I like hesitate to even go down this road. I think part of um, what I've witnessed is while well, oh. they're... <laughs> While they're, <laughs> I just know what she's gonna say, so I apologize. I just wish that, that, that people could see Chanaz's laugh. It's just like I've been, I've been, I've known it for fourteen years, and it's like he's the kindest person, but he can look so cruel when he laughs really wildly. <laughs> continue, Caitlin, please. See. Um, we don't have to get too much in the muck on this, but I will say this that. Um, my observation of it is, let me restart what I was going to say. So I uh, agree with what Janasa said. I hope what you're saying is true. And if that shift is happening, that's exactly where we want to be and should be and should have been a long time ago. What I have experienced as a non-person of color um, is a lot of conversations where I feel like I'm being told that the reason that I can't get work is because it's going to people of color, and that's not true. Um, and there's a huge problem with the agents and the casting directors using that line as a way of, um, I don't even know what it scapegoating, is. It's right? scapegoating, yeah. mm-hmm. but it, it's like it's connected to the intrinsic racism that exists in the industry, and it's really bad because mm. I have so many conversations with white women and men who will be like, "Well, yeah, I mean, you know, like, but it's I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not working because blah 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 blah," and it's like, "But that's not true. Please stop saying that. Please mm. stop telling people that. There's so much work for you. There may not. <laughs> yes, I guess." There are still white co-stars. There just are. There are still white under fives that are being cast. There are still white guest stars that are being cast. And the majority of the series regulars and recurrings on television shows are still white. Um, That's my wife. (laughs) Yeah. So, So I guess it's all to say that I hope you're right. Because I'm very skeptical based on the internal conversations that are happening between white people mm-hmm. in the industry. Well, see, and that's the, that's the big thing. Like, you just hit the nail on the head. Because when it comes to the shift happening, the shift is happening culturally because all of the people of color are starting to feel represented. However, it creates this, this other shift where there's so many white people feeling like they're not being represented. But I'm sorry to tell Becky Sue down the street, Hello? like, baby girl, <laughs> like, we have seen you on TV several times. I'm sorry. Like, hey, if you didn't get the role, maybe you weren't talented enough. If you didn't get the role, maybe it wasn't for you or maybe there was another story that needed to be told. But it's like to have that conversation where it's like, oh, like, I didn't get into this college because, you know, um, affirmative action or I didn't yeah. like well and that's exactly what it feels like yeah. it feels like the affirmative action conversation mm-hmm. and I think what's um, what's really challenging about it is I just I 
are frustrating is I don't understand why no one is like calling it out. It's happening all the time. We literally had a conversation this morning with this young man um, who is staying in our apartment for a few days who just came here from Chicago who was like, well, yeah, I mean, my agent tells me that like I'm not working because like, you know, there's just more work for POCs right now. Like, looked at Shanaz and said that. And he didn't mean to be offensive at all. But I couldn't help but be like, why has no one told you that's not true? Right. It's you like did. you do. It's like you still realize that yeah, there's I, 80 I, I, percent. Yeah. 80% of people on TV are white. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Like, yes. Yes. like it, so that leaves a good like 5% margin for each group of color. Yes. And part of, I mean, what I did talk to him about a little bit was because I think also what's happening is their bottom loading diversity and so a lot of the diversity and I think we're starting to see a shift in this right yeah. it is changing but a lot of the diversity is going to the under fives and so if you don't have those credits then your agent might feel like it's harder for you to book that role because the casting is saying they want diversity in a lot of those under fives but there's still are under fives for white people. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't. It's just harder than it was maybe in 1997. But it's also just like still I mean? easier than it is for any person of color. Yeah. Like it, it might be harder than it would right. have been have, would have been for you even honestly five years ago. But it's still easier than it would be for any person of color. So mm-hmm. what conversation are we participating in? Right. But right. it's surprising that you have. You have people who are very close to you say some of these things because it's easy. Uh, you have people very close to you who, who are your liberal, you know, whatever you want to list that thing about. They do this. They're shocked by this. To da 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 da, and they still are say. I've had a friend say it to me in person in a way that I'm like, I don't know how to explain it. You're surrounded by, I don't know. You'd just be surprised how invasive well, of a thing it is. It's very invasive. I think part of what my experience with it has been is uh, also that you, 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 the power dynamic is so skewed in this industry that when you walk into the room as an actor and casting looks at you, or I like this happened to me. I had a manager look at me and go, I wish your last name was Rodriguez. If your last name was Rodriguez, then basically I could work with you. Um, everyone at this table knows what I look like. Um, I did not, I mean, I should have looked at him and been like, you can't, you know, you can't say that to right. me, right? Like, that's not an appropriate thing for you to say. But because the power dynamic is what it is, I ended up walking out and I I had this moment of being like, oh my God, like, I'm not going to be able to work now because I'm my last name is in Rodriguez. And that's not real. Like, I should never have that thought. But because this person is the... Um, gatekeeper. Gatekeeper. The gatekeeper mm-hmm. and is also... What's the word I'm looking for? Like the expert right. on it. Oh, right. I walk out as a smart individual who is in a relationship with a person of color, still having that feeling to some degree, and then have to like watch myself come down from it. Right. And that's the thing. And it's not even that you're having that feeling because it's true that these that all of these roles are for people of color. No. It's having that feeling because the, these gatekeepers are making it about them. Yeah, right. they're making it about them. Exactly. So instead of just working with the people who can fulfill the role, it's like, oh, well, we're looking for this. And it's like, well, what you're looking for might not be what you find, honey. Right. So how about we broaden the horizon? Like we broaden our spectrum and what it is that we're trying to do. It's like, I feel like what ends up happening in so many casting directors' heads is this thing of like, oh, well, there's this specific story that needs to be told. told. But when you connect with people on a human level, like anybody can relate to the story. So then you see pieces of work come out like um, the Netflix series that just came out when they see us. And it's like so many people of color felt connected to that story because they've lived a certain life. However, so many white people were able to watch that and have feelings of all of the feelings, you know, Mm -hmm. all of the, 
like white guilt or may it be like just feeling like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's happening to people or outrage. Yeah. You know, all of the, all of the different things. Yeah. Empathy. (laughs) And that's the thing, like seeing that it's like when you start telling these stories, then you create more of a world where we can write stories where everyone exists in them. And we don't have to worry about like, oh, well, we need to tell this story because it hasn't been told and we need to do this because it hasn't happened. It's like, let's just make it a level playing field. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's... That's why it feels like there's still... We're seeing the structural changes, but if we're not having the structural changes, then the bandage change is, like, not useful. And I think... And that's why, even though this is... That's why even talking about this stuff is important because I feel like ac- actually every feeling is valid if we can then thus discuss it and like exchange and um, but I feel like a lot of it is like we're now doing diversity. We have now fixed right. that problem without ever actually getting into the, what is the nitty gritty? What are you walking into rooms and saying to people? Mm-hmm. Like what is your day to day practice of fixing diversity? Exactly. And- it- it's a problem to fix instead of a instead of finding a solution to why it happened yeah. in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, like, creating new coded language doesn't serve anyone, which is... Very that. Basic, it has been my experience of it. It's mm-hmm. like, what's our new coded language for talking about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, that just sounds so ridiculous, though. Like, if your name was Rodrigo... It's if you're, absolutely like, insane. Like, mm-hmm. it's... It's a crazy, yeah. But I mean, I think this is why it's so cool to come back to the question of making your own work and to that call of what you mentioned at the beginning here in the Saturn Return. But it's like, this is how we topple the institutions that are in place. We just make our own stuff. And um, if it's good, it'll rise to the top. And then you will have some power. You can cast your own stuff. You can, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm change the conversations that are being had in the room because you are controlling who's in the room because mm-hmm. it's your room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Build your own rooms, gals. <laughs> right. so we heard how Caitlin got an agent. How did you get wrapped? Um, I feel like... I'm always trying to give yeah, younger totally. listeners... Absolutely. ...that are Some like insight. out of college being like, what the fuck? It's really this? hard. Yeah. I also feel like something that was really useful to me before I got repped is that I found communities that let me work, period. Mm -hmm. Um, I did a lot of work with a a theater company. Ronald was saying that, too. What? Ronald had a similar experience with Shakespeare, and he was just... We talk about, like, making it, and he was like, I've always been making it. There wasn't a moment where I made it. Like, I've been making it the whole time. Yeah. He's very sexy. (laughs) (laughs) He's good He's good like that. No, but I feel I feel I had a company. I had a Flux Theater Ensemble in the city, National Black Theater, a place in Hartford, Hartford Heartbeat Ensemble. But I, I say that because I feel like sometimes you get stuck on those questions of how do I get rep, and then that doesn't actually allow you to stay in the practice of that thing that you actually want to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think there are always people in need of that thing you actually want to do. And finding those people as as a first place and like getting in that practice so you'd be like oh I even like I don't know that to me is like the first goal and I say that because the way I got rep was mm. I did a show in Heart with Heartbeat in Hartford we brought it to the New York Fringe and some guy saw it and this is not kind what he said but he was like oh you're really good in that show it's a shame that nobody who matters is going to see it oh. and I was like oh thanks and he was, I was like, okay, so like, what do I do? He was a producer, so but I guess he thought he didn't matter either. But he was like, reach out to five of your friends um, who have representation, have one who you don't, you don't want to work with their people, <laughs> have three in the middle, and have one who's a reach, <clears throat> and send out all your stuff and just do that. And that's how I got rep. I reached out to my five people course what the person who the other four couldn't the person who got back to me was my reach jack fallah he he set up a meeting with his manager and luckily by then i had enough of these small gigs in the city and like some of these small shorts that i had like kind of a reel and i had some of these new york like off 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 broadway pieces that he can then judge but from what i understand the manager's name was jeff 
it came down to him just asking another friend, like on a couch, kind of watch my stuff. And he's like, what do you think? And this is an actor, I don't know who it is. He was like, yeah, him. But um, so that's how I got my rep. Nice. Um, yeah. Which is a very lucky story. Yeah, so very great. lucky story. Very, very lucky. So maybe I've you can get Jack Fallahy to respond to my emails about being. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Jack's a busy man. Yeah. We we need we need we need like a gay icon who's actually not a, a gay guy yeah. on, on this podcast. Sure, his sure journey would... and his journey's been crazy too in its own you right? know, yeah. inside yeah. out way. No, he's he's awesome. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. That's so wonderful. And you. so what was the feeling uh, reaching out to friends? Uh, I've been in a somewhat similar circumstance. Mm-hmm. Reaching, I just finished writing a book. And, mm-hmm. and, it's been, and it, so it's like a totally different world. It's like, you know, uh, reaching out to other authors that I've met and known over the years. And been like, so what's your, you know, what do you advise? Mm-hmm. It's been a really vulnerable experience yeah. putting myself out there. What was that for you to make those calls? I feel like it's always really vulnerable and really hard. But I think as I get older, I'm just like, you just got to ask. Because I think anybody who's at a position that you're like, help me sign the light, they were at some point in that position. So I think as I've gotten older, it's become easier. You, you still have to be considerate and, I don't know, just really think about it. Be, I don't know, be delicate about it, but the doing of it feels like a necessity. I think anybody you're asking feels like a necessity. So I I remember it being difficult. But when that guy kind of told me that, I knew it just felt like the stakes were life or death. And what do I lose? That's the concrete response I have now. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if people actually judge you for that. I don't think they do. I think in my head, I feel like they, in my head, that's my fear. They're going to judge you somehow. I've gone through this same exercise multiple times at this point and never gotten rep out of it. Um. I have definitely had meetings, though. Not to, but, but what I will say is that any time I've reached out, people always respond. Mm-hmm. And I think respond genuinely. Like, sometimes the response is, I can't right now because I just started working with this person. Or I'm going to be honest, like, I know they have, like, three other people who look very similar to you already on their roster. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to waste yours or their time but I don't think I've ever had a situation where someone didn't respond yeah yeah put yourself out there kids yeah <laughs> and non-kids <laughs> <laughs> so circling back to the um the passion projects like mm-hmm. your personal projects when you were talking about failure like how did you define that is it just because like you put money into it and didn't make any money back out learning or, experience or did the project completely fall apart not even get completed like what did you mean by that that's a really good question. So, I was thinking of that other one, the uh, with the, the the poetry short. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> She's having a real like morning moment. Of <laughs> quiet. Like, sunk into your seats a little bit, like, <laughs> nestle each other's chins. Um, so, I think the biggest thing about it is knowing your collaborators. Mm-hmm. Because I would actually say, in both of those cases, we genuinely wanted to complete the projects, but the people who held our footage did not as much. Um, And I think, um, so, yeah, I think, I think what I've learned from that is like, I'm taking an an editing class in the fall. And part of that is because I think having as many skills as you can, at least a basic knowledge of it is really useful in creating your own work. I think we were relying, we didn't have as much of the camera knowledge um and so you know producing and getting doing all the the pre-production getting it shot we were able to do but then like after that we were kind of like at their will at their whim what's the Mm -hmm. phrase yeah um that's like the short response to what happened i would say yeah, fill your toolbox you with, that? with all mm-hmm. fill your toolbox with all the stuff. Yeah. You know, even yeah. if you can assemble a piece, uh, 
can bring in people to fine tune it, right. and you yeah. don't have to hand over ownership. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Like just being able to do a rough cut on something mm-hmm. would be huge. Um, so that I think was the basically what happened. But there's like you know more dramatic de- details. Got, you, about. Sounds like you got hijacked. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus just stirring the. the <laughs> I mean, the poetry project we did get kind of hijacked. That's yeah. why I was so sad when he said it. Because I was like, oh my god, I haven't thought about that in so long. It was a really beautiful piece. Mm. Yeah, I think we also kind of like would go in our gut in a way and be like, yeah, let's do this, and without really taking the time to learn what each step is, which is repeating what you're saying. But I think with the poetry project, it got hijacked in a way. The other thing was that. I mean, and also, like, they serve different purposes, right? Like, we shot this film, which got made me SAG eligible. And that was one of our goals with it. And we yeah. did that. Yeah. That was a concrete thing that came out of it, which was useful. Um, I just think have, having your hands on the, the... Understanding each step of it. And we've yeah. learned that over these two shorts. So that even in... There's one called... It's like... The timeline that was been worked on, by the time it was done, it was of no use to us. Like, we'd almost grown out of the piece because of how unclear we were about what post-production was. Mm-hmm. How unclear we were. Mm-hmm. And I feel like yeah. there's... Also, like, the director... Wait, come Wait, 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 wait. I gotta keep a little PC here, you know? Like, <laughs> shout out to all collaborators. We love you. We support you. We, we... <laughs> Boy, so if we had booked Caitlin by herself, we, we would have gotten like a lot of more raw, raw interviewers. Raw. I wouldn't guess. No, we, no, we, She's like, that director was trash. The artistic vision was different. The artistic vision was different. Yeah. Clarity in all positions. Is also, weird. another situation where I felt like there was a gender thing going on, too, which yeah. I, I, I do feel like I should shout out in reference to your convert, or your question before about what are those spaces. And those are spaces where I thought I was an equal and it became clear that I was not. Mm. And that's such a real thing, especially in the entertainment industry. Like it's no matter what realm of it, being it be film or music or like fashion, there's always some man who is who is the gatekeeper and there's a lot of misisogynistic behavior that's around, that's that's surrounding uh, that surrounds she so many projects right but there's always there's always something like that and it's hard to it's hard to know when you're entering a space where you're going to be accepted for your gender or your race or your sexuality or whatever like yeah especially when there's some man it's like I don't know how you're thinking, Mr. Man across the <laughs> across the table. Yeah. 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 What's been the experience? Oh my gosh, we should have never given Chinaza the squeaky chair. I know, I'm so sorry. I moved so of much. Of all people that we gave it to, I know. I'm yeah. in a different like cat position now. <laughs> right. I don't let I don't <laughs> let you can like they, they, you can go so many years without seeing somebody and it's like no, we shouldn't have given it a chance. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it's like, things don't change. It's they so funny. Do, but they don't. Yeah. It's so funny because I'm usually telling Jason not to sit in that chair or this chair yeah. because he'll rock back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> and, hey, That's I, just apparently we it's just a thing. We were, we were the antsy ones. <laughs> yeah. We were a little bit antsy. Um, what was it, what's it been like seeing our friends, our, like, famous friends now on TV for you? Guys, what's it like? What's, what's the experience? What's the real experience? You know what? This path is so challenging that 99% of the time I'm just really happy for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's my genuine response. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you feel like it creates any bit of a divide? Like, do you feel like they're other once they're there? No. I mean, <laughs> here's what I'll say. Like, my close friends who have started doing really well, I don't. Like, my friendships with those people have stayed the same. Um, I think the... Well, for the most part, they've stayed the same. Um, I think... Yeah, and I don't know what it would be like to run into some of those people who I'm not... Who I was never as close with. I would like to think I'd feel the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's an interesting question for... Chinaza, maybe as your career has changed. Oh, um, uh, I 
don't know if you're feeling, I, I don't know. Like, if you have thoughts about that, mm-hmm. I guess, with Dickinson coming out. Um, yeah, like, you're about to be that person. <laughs> like, you're about to be on Ooh, Instagram. someone's about to be verified on Instagram. <laughs> for us, is that the financial aspects of that have changed, have yeah. made us feel different around certain friends who we know are still in this other space. Right. And, and like, really what genuinely... other space? Just, like, still struggling. Financially. Really struggling. Really yeah. struggling yeah. and... Um, having to grind so, so hard. I think we definitely have had moments where we're like, well, how do we, we don't want this to feel different. Like, we just want this to feel the same. How do we, is that on us? Is that on you? Who's making this weird right now? Mm, Um, I mean, I I feel like to the first part, it's definitely case by case. Yeah. Individual by individual. And sometimes if you do feel a divide, you're almost, you almost feel... I've had some cases recently where I'm like, I almost feel sorry for the person. So I'm like, what does it mean to be a celebrity? Mm-hmm. What is the performance of that? What is the, I can, I, here's what, here's something they say, right? If you become famous or whatever, it just takes wherever you are and kind of like magnifies it. Mm-hmm. And I've as se- a human. As a human. Yeah. And I feel like I've seen people who mm-hmm. had A, B, and C issue before. And they, we, in some, we're, we're taught almost culturally that, like, once you get to a certain place, A, B, and C are going disappear, to disappear. And you watch A, B, and C expand, and you can watch it in real time. And that's been a crazy thing to watch. Whether it's, like, I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with how I am racially in the world. I am uncomfortable how I am um, sexually, gender, however I fit in my family. I've seen people where they've had a, a role that kind of you would think I don't know. It's very it's been and not inter- not to the world, right? Like you don't yeah. see it in the in their in their public presentation. It's right. when you're with them one on one, you're like, Hey, where's my friend? Mm. Um or like, man, like this is just such an uh tough reminder that it doesn't fill the holes. Mm-hmm. Um and I yeah. Which I think I, yeah. I think I'm grateful for that in my own journey, which you know, I feel like takes slow and steady wins the race to like a new level to some degree in terms of the way I feel about the pace of my career. Um, but I am very grateful that I feel like I have had time to mm-hmm. find myself as a human being over the last decade. Um, and I hope that whenever more opportunity comes for me that that will only serve me in that experience um yeah yeah, I I guess it makes me feel grateful to some degree I guess at times I I, just off that it makes me feel like oh you in a weird way if you even want to do it this that thing whatever that is you better really know yourself and like in a weird way get your shit together Mm -hmm. because it seems like it's a storm there's so many pros, yeah, but, it, like, seems like it's a storm. Yeah, it. of course, it's always going to be more difficult for someone to work on themselves once you yeah. are completely a public f- figure where people know who you are. You can't go to the supermarket and someone not be like, oh, is that so-and-so from the bubble? You know, like, <laughs> one, yeah. right, once that happens... It's like, oh, all eyes are on me. So even the slightest change in your presence mm-hmm. can feel like, oh, is this going to ruin my career? Am I going to still be on this at the same level of success? Oh, if I go to some like retreat, is someone going to take a photo of me? Are my nudes going to get leaked? Like, there's always so many different things <laughs> that like go through people's heads, and it's like, yeah, work on yourself when you still have the time to. Final question, and I like to ask people sometimes what they would go back and tell the younger version of themselves just trying starting out. But since we have a couple, I what would you go back and tell a young Caitlin, and what would you go back and tell a young Chinaza? Wow, I've never thought about this before. Right, and mixing it up. Well, we're gonna have to go to couples counseling after this conversation. You realize that, right? I mean, I would just say the first things that came to my mind would be, you're amazing, <laughs> take a breath, and then take up space. Mm. Oh, 
<laughs> well, hey. Here you go. And what would you tell your younger Shinaza? It's all going to work out. Don't fret. Nice. You guys are beautiful. Yeah, I love this. Thanks so much this. for coming. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having thanks us. For having we'll turn the AC back on now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a heat wave, y'all. Right. Meanwhile, it's like 110 degrees outside, but hey, you guys got through it. We did. <laughs> <laughs> we rode a boat today. <laughs> also, really quickly, is there anything either one of you want to plug? I know we have yeah, Dickinson, Dickinson yeah, coming. No, I'm good. I'm good on the plugging right now. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet.